Hello and welcome to Time for Kate's Nail, episode 17, with me, Ethan. And me, Bex. And it's been a while, but we're back. And we're back for one very particular reason, which is we saw Wonder Woman. And it is perhaps the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been a few weeks where we've been talking about that TV show that we're not going to talk about today. So... Yeah, we're not going to talk about it. At but all. you know which one we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but we had to uh, we had to do a, a cake snail episode about this film because it was so much fun, and there's a lot to talk about. And it genuinely might be one of the best films we've seen in a very, very, very long time. I mean, not just in terms of superhero comic book films, but it was just a fantastic, fun film to watch. So we're going to be going what mildly spoilery. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, forget that. If you haven't seen Wonder Woman yet, turn off this podcast, go and watch Wonder Woman, maybe a few times, <laughs> and then come back and listen to the episode. Yeah, there must be a cinema near you right now. So what are you, what are you doing still listening to us? Just go and look up when the next screening is and go, because it's great. It's really great. It's worth seeing in the cinema, I think. Multiple times. <laughs> So we presume that in the past 10 seconds, you have now gone to see Wonder Woman. <laughs> Maybe the gap should have been a bit longer. Yeah. And I, I thought it might be interesting at first to tackle this in terms of how, yes, it is an origin story, but it, it doesn't fall into all the pitfalls and the things that we've complained about with other origin stories over the past few years. Yeah, because I think at the moment, obviously cinema is completely swamped with all these superhero movies and not only have we got the continuing marvel movies coming out the dc ones but because they're constantly introducing new characters to these universes uh it's really common at the moment to have origin ones popping up all the time and a lot of these origin movies i mean they're good but they never really have the chance to get going because there's too much set up in terms of putting a character in an existing universe and the thing about Wonder Woman is that she's already been introduced in the DC movie universe because she turned up in Batman v Superman, mm. where she was obviously the best thing about that otherwise terrible movie. <laughs> um, and so this one is interesting because not only is it part of that universe, but it only has the subtlest of links to it. There's basically some bookending stuff at the beginning and the end, mm. which place it in the DC movie universe where there's some links to uh, Batman in particular. But I think more than that, it's just a really fun standalone movie, which, like you say, is a really original attempt at doing the origin story. Yeah, I think sometimes we've complained that origin stories get told over and over and over again. Um, so this is at least one that hasn't been put really on screen before. Um, I mean, goodness knows we never need another Spider-Man origin film or Batman origin film. Again, just just please stop it. And at least they kind of seem to have learned it now because the Spider-Man film isn't going to be like... Well, I mean, it looks like it's kind of a bit of an origin film in a way, but not a traditional one. Yeah. Although I think before the decade is out, we will have at least one or two more Batman origins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But also, I, I really didn't mind actually going back you know, taking the story all the way back to the beginning and the opening bits of, you know, seeing her as a child, seeing where she was growing up, because it was such a refreshing change to the origin that all of these other 
superheroes seem to have in that it wasn't just some utterly miserable series of events that that turned someone into some kind of vigilante superhero story. It was an origin story that was an origin of hope and love, which are the themes that essentially carry through the entire film. And so right from the very beginning, it was setting out its stall of, you know, here's a training montage that's like nothing that you've ever seen before. Here's, here's, a, here's an origin for a character that's completely different to anything that you would have seen before. And the feel of it, the way it looked, everything about it, it was something new. So even though in some ways it was retreading old ground of let's tell you how she came to be Wonder Woman, I, I didn't mind at all because it, it was done in a completely different way. Yeah, the background isn't rooted in the traditional darkness or angst that, that comes along in a Batman or even a Superman movie. And certainly the visual style of it as well, unlike all the other movies that are coming out at the moment, it doesn't have any real darkness in the way it's shot. Mm. It's almost like it's set occasionally in very dark periods of time and history, but she brings a lot of light and hope to the situation. Yeah. And so I think in a strange way, it really is a proper superhero movie. It doesn't waste time dwelling on the angst and inner turmoil of the hero at the centre. It's showing a proper superhero who has you know, godlike powers, who is also extremely unselfish, who is basically fighting for good, who wants to do good and wants to help people. And they're doing everything completely altruistically. So her journey from her sort of island where she lives to the real sort of the real world, as it mm. were, in the middle of World War One, it kind of is driven by her desire to do good because she believes she's doing the right thing. Yeah. So essentially, kind of going back to the beginnings of the character, we get to see her as a very young girl being told all these you know, stories by her mum, Hippolyta, Queen of the Amazons who's telling her all about uh, the history with Zeus and how Ares corrupted the hearts of mankind and turned them to war and all this kind of stuff that's going to um, be sort of a, a major driving force throughout the story, which is basically this is her moral code that she's been brought up with and that you know they all believe that it's their purpose to fight against this and that's what's important. And uh, they're not they're not driven by anything negative i think that was what was so surprising is that they're they're all driven to fight not out of feelings of i don't know revenge or hatred or anything like that but from a, a positive thing is you know, this this is what we're here to do this is our mission it's a good mission it's a worthwhile mission um so you, you do get a bit of the kind of usual oh i want to train to be a fighter and her mum doesn't want her to so she sneaks off and gets trained by her aunt who's played by Robin Wright, who is awesome in this. Um, even though she's only kind of in the first part of the film, or the, all the rest of the Amazons are only in the first part of the film. But she's, she's pretty awesome in, in, the, yeah. in the few scenes that she's in. I kind of just want a story about her now. That's um, the thing. I think it sets up a whole world where it never dwells too long on bits where it gets dull. Hmm. That whole opening on uh, Themyscira, you could just watch a whole movie set there. Yeah, irrespective yeah. of the events that take place in the Wonder Woman movie, it's a wonderful world, a wonderful setting, and it just shows some really kick-ass characters. It just it, It's a really, you know, perfectly built world, and I think that's something that's really obvious throughout Wonder Woman. The whole way it's been constructed is 
you know, dare I say, almost perfect in how they've built the world for these characters to uh, inhabit. Yeah. And of course, you know that eventually reality is going to kind of crash into their world at some point, And then it kind of like physically crashes into it in that uh, this American pilot, Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine, kind of crash lands his plane somewhere nearby. And uh, she basically rescues him for the first of many times during during the course of the film. And then, the, you know, the German army turn up and you get this incredible fight scene on the beach. And to be honest, I could have watched that for about two hours. I could have just watched a film that was more fighting on the beach for two hours. It would have been incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's the first of many bits like that in the movie. But the one thing about that fight is it really felt like proper comic book action being portrayed properly on screen. Mm. So you have framing that looks like comic panels. And I know that's not particularly new. I mean, certainly Zack Snyder is really good at, at framing things and, and taking very obvious visual cues from uh, source material. But it just looks like you're seeing a comic book movie come to life. And some of the shots, like the bit where Robin Wright's Antiope character uh, kind of draws back her bow and fires three arrows simultaneously. <laughs> and you know what's going to happen, mm. but it looks fantastic. It's the kind of action which is able to create a very visceral response in you when you're watching it it's kind of that punch the air kind of stuff it's really it's cool looking anyway but it's so perfectly done it's very um, balletic in the way that she's kind of flying through the air at the time it kind of looks like you're looking at shots from sort of ancient greek freezers depicting these events Mm. there's a sense of real um, heroism and godlikeness to the whole way that things are being portrayed it's just magnificent i think it's cool because it really contrasts to how how everything is portrayed when diana has gone to the modern world Mm. as well in the film yeah i think it was during that first kind of big action sequence i just started thinking how has patty jenkins been making tv pilots all these years (laughs) and can we just have her making action movies forever please because it was that that it was fantastic and given that it, w- it wasn't even like the you know the one of the big big famous fight scenes in the film that, that will come later it was just so well done it was beautiful to look at and yeah you're right there, there was something kind of balletic to it but also the thing that struck me about this and then you know the, the next part of the film when diana's deciding to to leave and go with steve uh to help fight in the war is that she isn't driven by any sense of wanting to get revenge on the people who just, you know, uh, turned up on the beach and decided to attack in the Amazons. She isn't driven by, you know, wanting to, to go and find who was responsible. She's still driven by wanting to go and help other people who are out there. Because as soon as she knows there's other people out there who are in danger, that's who she wants to go and help. You know, d- despite, despite the fact that this horrible battle happened, it, it doesn't cloud her own judgment as to what she feels is the right thing to do right so we're not going to spoil the whole plot of the film but the key thing that happens after this opening is that the events take diana and steve back to london Mm. in order to launch a sort of secret mission behind enemy lines where they're going to go and track down the creators of this mysterious new poison gas which Steve understands is essentially a new chemical weapon which could be being 
deployed by the Germans. Mm. But Diana believes is actually uh, being ultimately orchestrated by Ares, who is her main sort of figurehead for where she believes the origin of violence and war is coming from, uh, even in the world outside uh, the island where she came from. Yeah, so she thinks that because of all the stories that she's been told as she was growing up, that all of the kind of war and, and violence that gets inspired in humanity is ultimately coming from Ares, the god of war, and that he has corrupted people. And therefore, if this horrible you know, world war in which millions of people are dying is happening, in, in her mind, it can't be due to anything else. It must be due to Ares' influence, because why else would people turn on each other in that way? You know, she, she starts up with this very kind of simple right, I know who must be behind this and therefore it's my job to go and find them and my job to protect people. So that's what I'm going to do, irrespective of how many people around me think that it's a bad idea. You know, to the extent that even her mum doesn't want her to go, but she goes anyway and she kind of realises that she can't really stop her. And they recruit this kind of motley band of heroes to go with them on this sort of unofficial, under-the-radar mission uh, to go and try and find where this chemical weapon is being manufactured. And in that respect, there were, it kind of reminded me sometimes of Rogue One. Yeah. In the way that you had this, this kind of like group of, of misfits coming together um, and going on a mission that is, you know, very dangerous, completely deniable by half the people who know about it. And it, it was very noticeable how in this, as in Rogue One, it's it's a very kind of diverse mix of people who come together in this kind of little band who's going to go on this adventure. So you've got Charlie, played by Ewan Bremner, who's a Scottish kind of sniper, marksman, yeah. however you would describe it, um, who's obviously seen and been through an awful lot and is kind of preferring to drink himself into a bit of a, a stupor rather than kind of confront it um so you are kind of a mini kind of redemption arc being set up there with him and you've got samir played by saeed tagmaui who is i suppose a bit of a spy type character he's he's very good at um disguising himself and kind of sl slipping through unnoticed he's like he's like a face from the 18 yeah <laughs> He's someone who, at one point, because he says that he, he wanted to be an actor before the war came along, didn't he? So he's he's clearly used to getting himself through in all sorts of different situations, which is his own special skill, I suppose. And I think the nice thing about his introduction and his arc throughout the film is it really draws on the fact that a lot of people who were caught up in fighting in the First World War, and actually other wars as well, um, were never actually trained soldiers. They're mm. people who were drawn into it through circumstance. And I think it's an interesting arc to have in a film like this. And it adds a perspective on the whole film that comes from people generally being drawn into conflict who wouldn't necessarily be there if this war wasn't on. Yeah. And, and similarly, you've got Chief, played by Eugene Braverock, who, again, is not... A trained soldier in fact not actually a soldier on either side he's there to um basically sell to to 
both sides of the trenches, doesn't he? Um, he basically gets goods in. Because at one point he says that the uh, the Germans want English tea and the the British want... I can't remember what it was. Uh, what was it? He was, he was selling something to the to the guys in the British trenches anyway. And then when he turns up, they all recognise him and they know him because they know that he's he's bought whatever contraband it, it is coming in that they want to get their hands on. Yeah, I think... I mean, the nice thing about this whole setup is it completely subverts the classic, you know, men on a mission trope. I mean, there are many things which are subverted in this film mm. from what people are going to expect. And it's a wonderful thing. But I think in this case, there are so many of those films. I mean, most recently there was um, Inglorious Bastards as a take on the whole idea. I mean, mm. it was spoofing the whole genre. But there are so many of these war films where you have a group of blokes who gang together they're all butch, macho dudes who go in and take on the enemy, um, go on some secret mission. Some get out, some don't, blah, blah, blah. And this completely throws that away by saying, oh, this is not that group of uh, highly trained people going behind enemy lines to do something on an authorised or unauthorised mission either. Most notably, as the film goes on, it's clear that the de facto leader of the whole thing is Diana, who's a woman. And what's nice is that the other characters in this little crew don't have this annoying thing where they start questioning whether a woman can lead a group of people, blah, blah, blah. It's none of that crap. What they basically say is they see the leadership in her and they are inspired by her and they sort of take her on as the natural leader. And it's nice to have something where they don't play this stupid game of, oh, the woman can't be in charge, she doesn't know what she's doing. They see what she's capable of and they just agree that she's the one to lead them. Yeah. And it, it, it's that kind of leadership quality that you also see slightly earlier on before they've all got together when her and Steve have gone to... It's like some kind of war room where you've got loads of politicians arguing with each other about what they're going to do and they're talking about this potential armistice with Germany because this is all set almost right at the very end of the war, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, so it's been going on for years and years at this point. And... That they're all, they're all arguing about it, and Steve comes in because he wants to talk to one of the military guys about what he's discovered about this poison gas. He tells Diana to wait outside, but she comes in anyway because why wouldn't she? And they all seem, you know, slightly mortified and shocked by the fact that a woman has just wandered in, and she's pretty frustrated with the way that they're all talking about things because she thinks that they're being very dismissive about the fate of. You know, the soldiers are actually out there fighting and that they're all just, you know, sitting around talking instead of actually taking any action. And in another film, she might have spent a while trying to convince them that they were wrong. But actually in this, she's just like, right, they're a bunch of idiots, aren't they? Now, what are we doing next? How are you going to get me out onto the front line so that I, I can actually go and do something about this situation? Yeah, she's such a proactive character. Yeah. You know, she's not going to wait to take orders from other people because she has a tremendous amount of confidence in what she is doing and this overall desire, again, to know that doing good is the right thing to do and nothing should get in the way of that. And I like the fact that the film doesn't waste time, even in a meta way, mm. trying to slow down her journey unnecessarily. It's almost as if when they've gone on their mission, you can imagine everyone else still arguing about stuff back in the London scenes, yeah. whilst they're getting on with the job, yeah. uh, led by Wonder Woman. I think for me, one of the most refreshing things about the film, compared with other 
DC films of the past few years is the amount of humour that they managed to get into it. And, and particularly a lot of it kind of comes early on. So some of the scenes in London, um, even some of the scenes in Themyscira, where you have you know the occasional bit of fish out of water comedy, uh, like when she's in the department store in London and is trying to find some clothes to wear. And of course, they're all completely ridiculous because she can't find any of them. There's that bit where she tries to kick while wearing the skirt. Um, and it reminded me of that episode of Buffy where she's in a bank and she's going to ask for a loan <laughs> and the demon comes in and she can't she can't kick it so she gets a um, letter opener and just completely cuts it down the side so that she can kick the demon in the face. Um, it, I don't I don't know why it reminded me of that, but it, it did. So, but the fish out of water stuff isn't too overdone. It's, it's there and it's funny when they do do it, but it isn't kind of relied upon as a kind of comic crutch as the film goes on because actually you know, at, at the heart of it is is her and her heroism and you know the, and the team that she's got around her and it's it doesn't become you know just a, a series of oh diana doesn't understand the modern world kind of jokes although i do love the ice cream bit the, the ice cream bit is possibly my favorite part of the film well, i think even that <laughs> is an example of how uncynical this film is mm. What I really liked about the humour in it was it was funny, but it didn't rely on lots of wisecracks and sort of zingers throughout the whole thing. Mm. You know, it doesn't have that um, aloofness that you get in the Marvel movies, really, where there's a crazy fight scene and a quip or everyone's being a bit sarky with each other. Yeah, I think what's nice is that the humour kind of has its place in the movie, but it never loses sight of the fact that you can have those moments in certain parts of the film, but what's nice is that when it moves to being in the trenches in World War One, it kind of loses that without becoming an overly serious movie. Mm. Um, she's still there to bring hope and light and heart to the events, even though they're in a dark time for the whole world. <laughs> So let's talk about the way that Wonder Woman is actually portrayed as a hero in this mm. movie. Yeah, I think her brand of heroism is a much needed one at the moment in that it's heroism that is driven from a desire to, to do good, to help people. Um, she feels you know, that she has a, a duty of care to the people around her. She cares about her team. She cares about... The people in the next village along the next city along she cares about you know trying to help as many people as possible right now in the way that she knows she's capable of helping and the way she knows she's capable of helping is to go out and defend them and to actually you know literally put herself in the line of fire in order to help other people and she doesn't question whether it's it's the right thing to do she she knows in her gut that it's the right thing to do and it comes not from any kind of naivety about the world you know although at times it's you know she's sometimes portrayed as you know having this very kind of single-minded idea of it's Ares who has corrupted people and that's why they're that's why they're fighting but it's it doesn't make her naive in terms of what she feels she's able to do to help people because it's her upbringing and her moral code that tells her to go out and help people so even in the midst of the worst imaginable type of violence 
she is still going to remain hopeful and optimistic about other people and is still going to want to go out and protect other people in whatever way it is in her power to do so. Yeah, I think what's really beautiful about the way that she is portrayed and the way that she leads this team of people is the fact that she really inspires hope and courage in other people through her own acts, but also showing them how to find their own kind of inner heroism as well. So I think there's an element, certainly with Ewan Bremner's character, that he do, he's lost his sense of self. He feels kind of hopeless and she reveals to him that it is still there and he is still the person he always was. He's still that hero and it is inside, but he can't find it, but she can show him how to bring that out in himself. Mm. And I like that idea that her actions are themselves greatly heroic, but she gets others to find that strength in them and it encourages them and engages them in heroic acts that they may have shied away from in advance. Mm. Almost like she really is the leader here, but she's showing people can rise to the challenge of things. And it's all about helping people find their own way of being heroes rather than being a hero just by, you know, kicking the crap out of people. <laughs> you know, that's her special skill. But she feels that other people have different skills and they should all be treated with equal importance as well. Yeah, and going back to that moment where she goes into the war room and they're all discussing what, what they're going to do. And then afterwards she says something like, oh, how can that guy be a general when he's not even, you know, out there, you know, with his men actually fighting with them and being with them. And it's it's because part of what makes her a hero is by being with other people so that they are inspired to find their own heroism. However that manifests within them and whatever they're capable of doing, they do it because she's there with them and because they see what she's doing. She isn't going to do it by herself or or, you know, ask other people to be heroic from hundreds of miles away. That That's how she makes other people better as well. And that's what makes her a superhero. And, and a superhero that is, I think, more inspiring than the recent iterations of either Superman or Batman that we have had within that Justice League universe. And one of the things that's noticeable is that as she eventually comes to realise that the violence and, and the war that's happening, it's not just because Ares has gone out and corrupted the heart of every single human being around them in order to make them do evil things. It's because sometimes humanity does do horrible evil things. But when she realises this, there's there's no cliche moment where she thinks, oh, humanity, uh, you don't deserve my help. I'm just going to abandon you to your fate or anything like that you get with you know, a lot of other superheroes are like, oh, why do I do this? Why do I bother? Humanity Happy. cannot be helped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she, just, she just carries on saying, well, you know what? I'm still going to do the right thing. And I'm still going to fight whatever battle I can in order to make the biggest difference that I can. And it's that optimism, I think, that makes this such a special film. I think it's nice that she... I suppose going after Ares initially also makes her think that there is a a singular target that she can take out and everything will be right. Mm. And I can see many other movies basically 
using that as a device where when she realizes it's not that simple there would be another 40 minutes of her working out whether she's worthy of being a hero whether she's good enough whether she can do it and that but just like you say i think it's so nice that she realizes that things are more complicated and that it's a much larger battle but she doesn't shy away from it and she doesn't let anyone down Mm. i mean she really is the most hopeful optimistic and heroic hero that's been put on screen in a very very long time yeah and funny enough now you mention it there are a couple of times in the film where other characters say to her humanity does not deserve you but she never thinks about herself I think it's even even her mum when she's when she's yeah. leaving and she says something about you know that the world does not deserve you, but she never wants questions whether that's right or not. Because she, she well, it's not. Hmm. I'm going to go out and protect people. That's what I'm going to do. Another feature of the storyline as well is the fact that she's a hero who is fighting something that she personally hasn't created. Yeah. So I don't know how to explain it, but I think with all the iterations of superman and batman that have happened recently there's this really annoying thing that keeps happening which is the only way that they can uh, portray the hero in those films is by having them realize that in some way they created that villain or are responsible for that villain turning up on earth or whatever Mm. so there's too much of this batman style plot where he basically is going around creating these villains and therefore they have to coexist in some in some way or superman constantly being responsible for almost using earth as a beacon to attract nasties from other planets you know what i like is that you know she is not the cause of the evil in the universe she's in Mm. but she sees it and she goes up against it. So she doesn't have that angsty relationship with uh, the antagonist of the film. She's yeah. a hero in her truest form, actually. Seeing bad around her and wanting to sort it out and do good and bring light to people as well. Yeah, it's a good point because you know, because in many ways Superman is so all-powerful... They keep giving him these, you know, equally powerful kind of aliens who, who turn up to Earth because they want revenge on him or they've decided that they want revenge on Earth because of where he is or these ridiculous plot. I can't even remember what half the plotline to Man of Steel was anymore. God, that was a boring film. But it's 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 always the thing where the, you know, the superhero at some point feels, oh, this is my responsibility to take care of because I'm responsible for this happening. And it's something that keeps happening in the DC TV shows as well. Yeah. I know we're going to talk a little bit about this later, but there's this this kind of angst, see, it's all my fault um, kind of attitude that it gets a bit repetitive. And to have a, a hero who actually says, you know what, none of this is my fault, and if I wanted to, I could pop on a boat and go home and none of you would be any the wiser... And I would just live quite happily there. But actually, I'm not going to do that because it's the wrong thing to do. You know, and I'm going to do the right thing to even though, you know, it had nothing to do with her. She still decided that she would be the one who was actually going to help. Yeah, it's a great point, because I think that's something which I found as a real weakness in 
the most recent series of Arrow and the Flash mm. is the resolution of both the uh, Prometheus and Savitar uh, plots respectively was, and there are spoilers here, is that they directly, or the or the heroes of those shows, directly created those villains. Mm. And that was the big reveal at the end. But ultimately, it's been done so many times. Yeah. And it was nice to re-enter a superhero world that is trying to do something original and fresh with how you portray superheroes on screen i think it makes such a difference when you have heroism portrayed in a very kind of very pure very optimistic form um i mean you saw at the end of the film during the end credits you looked over and i was crying and that was actually the fifth time in the film that i had started crying <laughs> i actually started crying during the training montages at the beginning because and I and I know that part of this is because it was the first time in my life really that I had just seen a film in which suddenly there was just a bunch of amazing women being amazing and how has it taken so long but th that's not the only thing obviously it was a thing that had an impact on me but it wasn't the only reason why it had an impact on me God, I cried during the battle on the beach. I cried during the no man's land bit. I cried during the battle in the square. And it and it just kept happening. And at the end, I was thinking, like, why has this emotionally affected me the way that it did? It's not just because it's a superhero film with a female lead. That's too simplistic. It's actually because it's a superhero film that was kind of unashamedly positive. And it had this underlying message that approaching the world from a position of love and optimism and compassion is not the same as being passive and not taking any action against injustice and it's something that has been kind of worryingly absent not just in a lot of films that we've watched but frankly in just the discourse of the world and the way that people are now there's this there's this idea i think that being positive and that trying to have love for your fellow human beings is itself something that is synonymous with just sitting back and doing nothing. And it's not true and it's never been true. And if the stories that we tell ourselves as a culture are the, the way that we want to see ourselves, then what does it say about us if we've been making all of these films in which heroism comes from from a very aggressive and angst-ridden place, yeah. if we can't actually show ourselves visions of heroism that come from a positive place, then it, it, it removes the ability of people who do want to keep that posit positivity from also wanting to be heroic. And it just, it just affected me in such a way that it, it, it beat my previous crying in the cinema level by a whole two cries. My previous crying level was three cries in a film in the cinema. And this one got me five times. It was a superhero film, for goodness sake. It made me cry five times. And just the way that she was so fearless in what she did, you know, the, the, the way that if she saw something was happening, she just went and did something about it. She didn't second-guess herself. She didn't sit around brooding in a cave about whether or not it, it was the right thing to do. She just went and did it. And I left the cinema with such a feeling of hope in my own heart 
that I felt like I could have I felt like I could have gone and just taken down some bad guys. If, if I'd seen some villains on the street, I felt like I would have just run towards them instead of away from them. And it's and I know it's a silly thing to say, but to an extent, we we shape the kind of culture that we want to have through the stories that we tell. And we always have long before film, long before the written word, we were doing this with the stories that we passed on from generation to generation. And it, it just felt like it was so important and so necessary to have a film that said heroism can be a hopeful and optimistic and positive and loving force in the world. I think what's really awesome in this film as well is that the performances uniformly are really, really good. And most of all, I think you have to single out Gal Gadot in the lead role of Wonder Woman. I think she's fantastic in this. And I think she brings so much nuance to the superhero that we've never seen before, Mm. I think. And I think that's a really... I think it's important that it's not just about how well the film is written or how well it was directed. I think it's a performance which is really so astounding in the way it brings heroism to the screen i think it's it, it, it it's it's brilliant and i think on the other side of that i mean you know everyone else is really good i remember the one thing i thought about this is you know what this might be the first good chris pine movie as well <laughs> <laughs> you know i think patty jenkins has really got some fantastic performances out of people mm. and you know the the other thing is the film zips by as well yeah I mean, i'm not sure how long it is it must be what two hours and 15 two hours and 20 or something but it didn't seem that long. It didn't seem short or anything like that. But it's one of those films you just sit there and watch. You soak it in. There's no moment when you're looking at your watch and you're trying to work out how much has gone by, how much has left. It just sucks you in and you're taken into this world. And at the end, you're just glowing afterwards. And what I really remember is not just how good I felt after watching Wonder Woman in the first couple of hours after I'd seen it, mm. but the fact that I still feel as positive, if not more, about it a week on. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where it's not about the high of seeing a film like that and getting the buzz from it and it dying off. I still remember so much of the stuff that happened in it and it still stays with me, which is really unusual these days. Yeah. It's two hours, 21 minutes long. Bloody hell, it didn't feel like that at all. It didn't feel like, it didn't feel like that. It's, And I think because it, you know, like... Diana herself, it got on with things. Um, though it didn't seem like there was lots of filler, it, it it just got on with the story, and yet it still had time for, you know, lots of subplots going on. Um, I mean, obviously you've got a romantic subplot going on between Diana and Steve, um, but it never becomes the focus of the film. It never overwhelms the film, and to an extent, it doesn't even really define. Their relationship, because first and foremost, they are comrades in this group who are who are going to go out and do something good, and the fact that they have a little romance along the way, it it, it doesn't overshadow what they're doing. One thing I thought was really funny, really early on, back when they're on uh, Themyscira, is you get there's this trope in films where early on the hero accidentally stumbles upon the love interest or future love interest in some kind of state of undress and it's something that is a bit of a kind of hackneyed thing now I think and 
it's usually you know you get kind of undercurrent of saying of you know the love interest is the vulnerable one because they're then shown in a vulnerable way and sometimes it can frankly be a bit creepy in the way that they do it but you have this wonderful subversion of it in this film where of you know because Diana is the hero so she stumbles in upon Steve in a state of undress but she's completely unembarrassed about any of it and her utter lack of embarrassment undercuts any creepiness about what's going on but also it's very clever because what this is actually saying is that he is the vulnerable one he is the one who has, has been highlighted in this vulnerable situation early on because he is the human one i mean she's a demigod for goodness sake he you know so it, it was a very clever reversal of the trope um and a quite a funny scene as well and unlike a lot of action movies and superhero movies around um, what's really nice here is that there are no unnecessary scenes of gratuitous violence so the ones that you mm. see in i mean most recently in the batman movies suicide squad uh, the marvel movies are going a little bit down there as well uh, they always have lots of violence in them and i think mm. this has you know lots of action scenes in it but you never really focus on gratuitous violence what you do see is the aftermath of it yeah and i think that's a very different perspective on things because it almost is talking more about the consequence of your actions rather than just showing something that looks cool on screen mm. what's really nice is that even in the most sort of kinetic action scenes you never have a moment where it focuses on you know particularly bloody violence or mm. any injuries or anything it does take that comic book view of things where the action is separable from violence yeah as it were it doesn't need to have this really annoying gritty realism which has pervaded superhero films at the moment yeah um it really is a true you know beacon of sort of light and hope and i think it really is probably gonna change how the whole superhero genre is going to deal with its heroes in the coming years yeah, I think you're right, and I think it's it's such a good film that I think it's certainly going to, or at least I hope it will, alter the course of how these future Justice League films are going to go. Um, I don't know who's directing some of the other ones. Um, frankly, I'd be quite happy if they let Patty Jenkins direct them all, based on, based on what she's done here. But I, I do hope that it marks a sea change in how those are going to be after how just miserable and borderline unwatchable Batman versus Superman was that to, to me it felt like five hours of people punching each other in the face um it, it was just interminable and and she was the only really good thing about it and yet she was so much better in this just the way the character was shot the way she was portrayed everything it was so much more positive in this than it was even in her you know appearances in in dawn of justice which was still the best thing about dawn of justice so i i hope that people do take something from this about you know a, a different way of, of approaching a superhero film and particularly within the dcu although maybe they could still think about losing the twangy guitar theme that they have for it's really annoying i'm glad they didn't use it that much the score otherwise is really good in this it is yeah but i remember that in batman v superman Every time Wonder Woman showed up on screen, they did it, and it happened a lot by the end. And what was nice here, it was done like once or twice, which I could tolerate. 
Yeah. I, I haven't bought a score in ages, and I actually found myself looking it up the other day and thinking, yeah, I might buy this one. I think I, think so, I might buy it. it. It was a really good score. But it didn't completely overwhelm the film. You can remember it, but it, it didn't end up being the main thing that... I mean, it's, it's, some films, frankly, the score is the best thing about them. It's nice to also see that in this movie, it's a proper solo superhero movie. Mm. So what I've noticed is that as certainly the Marvel movies have continued, the solo movies like Captain America 3 and clearly even the upcoming Spider-Man Homecoming movie, they still can't maintain a narrative for just one character. They're almost becoming ensemble pieces with all the other Marvel action heroes around. So that's why they're almost being considered like Age of Ultron 2.5, etc. I think what's nice is this is really a standalone superhero movie. And it's nice that it's also not bogged down by having excessive amounts of any of the other uh, DC movie universe characters around, like Batman and Superman. I think they would really not fit well with the tone that's been created here. And they'd probably bring the whole thing down a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, because even you know some of the kind of new wave of Marvel origin stories that they've come in haven't really been able to break away from, from the ties to the larger universe. So you think of things like Doctor Strange or Guardians of the Galaxy, where you know that there are infinity stones knocking around and eventually everything's going to have to collide. Whereas this, it was, it was so nicely compartmentalised as its own story that it could just get on with being its own story and its own thing without thinking, oh, how does this fit into the you know, wheels within wheels going on within this giant kind of story machine? And I think that if they do find that the execution of the Justice League movie does not work, I think they should not be afraid to, when they make the Wonder Woman sequel, again make it a solo Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. Uh, They shouldn't think, oh, let's try and force this thing to work. I think the execution here is near perfect and they should not break it. Overall, across the board, it's such a fantastic movie. And it's the first movie in a while now that I felt like I want to go back to the cinema and watch it again really soon. Yeah, I think all we can say is, if you haven't seen it, go and see it. If you've already seen it, watch it again. And if you know anyone who hasn't seen it, take them to go and see it. (laughs) And just get everyone to go and see this movie. Although, to be fair, I think box office is very good, so everyone is probably doing this right now. But I think it's just such a fantastic movie. It's a proper... You know, it does function as a proper summer blockbuster movie as well, mm. but it has a lot of heart to it. And I think that's something that's sorely lacking in films at the moment and is certainly lacking in this vast pantheon of superhero movies, which, look, to be honest, are often based on hope and optimism. And, you know, that's just been lost from these movies. But I think they should really bring that back and and show that you can make uncynical movies in the modern age that are really entertaining, really fun fantastically made and really worth watching. So those are our thoughts on the wonderful Wonder Woman movie. One thing that we should add is that for a long time we've been thinking that, you know, the DC TV shows, so the ones on the CW network, so Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, etc., they have actually, I think, been a lot better than the way that the DC movies are going. 
the recent ones like Batman v Superman, Man of Steel, Suicide Squad, etc. Oh god, don't uh no, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. <laughs> Suicide Squad. That is the worst film I've ever seen. Um, but I really hope that, you know, this is the watermark that the DC movie universe uses to say mm. this is how you can make really good movies set in the DCU on screen. And I think it's particularly telling that originally we kind of viewed Flash as the, the positive, optimistic part of the, the kind of DC on-screen universe because originally, certainly in the first couple of seasons, it it was a very positive show but even that has started to become very negative and angsty in season three to the point where I've actually got a bit fed up with it um, and don't even get me started on Arrow, I mean, you know just, just uh, I genuinely don't know if I can come back to season six. We always say that but then we always do Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think we're you're right with Flash. I mean, one weakness of this season has been the fact that it's turned away from Barry as the ever hopeful do-gooding hero. And it's become a bit too introspective, I think. It's almost like it's tough to show superheroes having any kind of existential crisis on screen because most people aren't willing to really go through that plot line. They end up having silly reversals and silly ways to resolve these plot lines. Um, I mean, the one that is interesting about season four of The Flash is it does seem to suggest that we're going to get part of the rebirth storyline, which I think could be a really good one to put on screen. In the same way, I think what's interesting is that this year, I'm not sure about you, but I think that Supergirl has become infinitely better since it's moved from uh, CBS to the CW networks. Now it's really part of the... Uh, CW universe of TV shows and again that does have that sense of hope and optimism which I think is lacking in the other shows. I think it does I mean Supergirl is an interesting example because it it, it does try and embrace a much more kind of positive outlook of what it means to be a superhero and in fact when you get crossovers between Supergirl and Flash um, I think Kara and Barry make this this great optimistic double act together um, I'd like to see them actually do more of that. But but even Supergirl, I think, be- because just from the nature of being a, you know, a, a kind of e- episodic show that is as much about her kind of finding her way in the world and, and all of the, the normal kind of angst that you get in that, you know, it's the same kind of relationship angst that you get in things like, you know, Buffy, for example, that you would put into a, a long-running kind of serialised TV show like that, that in a film where you've got two hours 20, you can have a character that just gets on with it. I mean, if you had an entire TV series about Diana living in the real world, you would want to build on other aspects of her life other than being a superhero. And so that's what you, you know, they do in Supergirl. But it's those kind of other aspects of her life that bring the angst into the show, I suppose, in that actually... The element of her being a superhero and going out and helping people, that is still, you know, an altruistic, positive thing that she decides to do because it is the right thing to do. And I, I think it's it's also something that has started to also make Legends of Tomorrow better. And that it was a far more positive attitude that they had towards what they were doing in series two compared to series one, which was just too much of like, oh, the fate of the world, oh, terrible. I think it really helped having uh, Sarah Lance become 
leader of the crew on a wave rider. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe for similar reasons to how they portrayed Wonder Woman mm. as well. It's nice just to have a proper leader, hero, uh, inspirational character who other people can look up to. Because I think it's really nice when you can see that a clever way to portray a hero in the world of like a movie or TV show is to very explicitly show other characters looking to them for inspiration and gaining that hope from seeing them as well. And I think that's something that Rory didn't have in series one Mm. because the whole mission in Legends of Tomorrow was based around arguably quite a selfish act that he wanted to uh, get these ragtag group of you know heroes involved in yeah um and that's really cool because I, I have a lot of hope now for legends of tomorrow because I, I didn't really like the first season but i thought the second s- season was really fun yeah it didn't take itself seriously it kind of showed a lot of ways that it could portray this you know a group of characters on screen and i think it had a decent plot didn't take itself too seriously and it was you know a really fun watch and hopefully they're going to bring Constantine in next year but I don't know I hope, I hope so we, we, we can keep our fingers crossed they're doing that animated series I hope that they find the right way to use the character because he's been as a character he's been let down many times by, by many networks and studios so yeah please bring him back <laughs> So that's it for episode 17 of Time for Cakes and Ale. Thank you so much for joining us for our Wonder Woman review. If you want to get in touch with any thoughts about this or any other topic, you can find us on Twitter at TFCAA. And there's a Facebook group as well, Time for Cakes and Ale. And there's also our website, timeforcakesandale.com. We'll be back soon with more cakes and ale but in the meantime we're going to be going back to a little bit of cherry pie and coffee as Mm. we continue our roundup of that show yeah so new episode tomorrow can't wait (laughs) so we'll see you next time goodbye goodbye